Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Welcome along to this week's Tech Talk. Coming up over the next hour, from dawn raids to tidying up the tech industry, we'll hear how the Data Protection Commission works. Bitpanda has arrived in Ireland. We'll hear all you need to consider before you invest your money. Plus, I'll chat to Clever Cards, the Irish company looking to be the ideal corporate gift this Christmas. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. But first... Yeah, that was my number one song on my Spotify rap this year. Uh, Nice and contemporary, as you can tell. This week saw people flood social media with their top artists, podcasts and songs from the platform over the past 12 months. One of the stats that I found very interesting is the time spent listening. So users received a very shareable graphic that showed how many minutes they spent listening to Spotify. And I saw some people on TikTok doing the maths to see how much their favourite artists would earn from Spotify support. So the figure that's out there in terms of what artists get paid per stream is between 0.003 US cent and 0.005 US cent per stream. So a little bit of maths on the back of a beer mat will tell us that if an artist gets 100,000 listens on Spotify, they'll get around $437. What do you make of that? It's not a huge amount, is it really? Uh, I'd love to hear from listeners who use other platforms. What do you listen to and why? Uh, Email techtalk at newstalk.com. Now, elsewhere in the world of tech, on Monday, the Irish Data Protection Commission issued a €265 million fine to Meta, the parent company of Facebook, for data scraping. This comes just months after the DPC handed down its largest ever fine of €405 to the company for a violation of GDPR rules on the processing of the data of children. Now, while we often hear about the Data Protection Commission in relation to big tech companies, they do a good bit more. Uh, and I'm joined now by Tony Delaney, the Deputy Commissioner and Head of Regulatory Activity, to try and find out what exactly the DPC does, what goes into an investigation and how they decide upon those sums of money. Tony, you're very welcome to the show. Before we talk through some of the investigations and the cases that you've worked on over the years, what is the, the, the core function of the Data Protection Commission? I'm delighted to talk to you today. We have a huge function, a uh, breadth of functions, in fact, in the Data Protection Commission. Most people nowadays are very familiar with the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. And our function, of course, mainly from that is, is to police uh, the protection of data protection in, in uh, Ireland and across, in fact, the whole European Union, where we're responsible uh, for many, many big tech companies, etc. But we've also other broader issues, in fact, in relation to what's known as the e-privacy directive. And uh, that's been around for many years. We get many, many complaints about marketing, uh, unsolicited marketing contacts made by uh, businesses even within Ireland here. And uh, we have prosecution functions in relation to those 
those sorts of things as well. So our, our remit is is huge uh, because they're everything in in life really now in business and so on uh, entails the processing of personal data in one way or another. And uh, we hear all sorts of issues down through the years, data breaches being reported, uh, documents being left lying around, found in dumps, all sorts of things. These are the uh, things that people complain about and, and people have very strong rights, thankfully, under data protection law and they have a right to exercise those rights. And, and if the companies and the data controllers to whom they are try, trying to exercise those rights with are posing difficulties with them, they often become complaints to the Data Protection Commission. So complaints really is, is a huge uh, amount of work in our, in our Data Protection Office. Complaints, queries from the general public, queries from business, in fact, too, about how, how to comply, etc. So our, our remit gets bigger by the day. It's a broad, broad uh, spectrum. There's a running joke here on News Talk where anytime anyone mentions anything to do with data protection or privacy, they all look to me and laugh because I, I've been a big advocate for this for a long time. But for those who don't fully get it, why does it matter? Like, why why do we have those rights? And why is it so important that companies that are misusing individuals' information are pulled up and held to account? Well, it's very important. Like, our private information is our own. And particularly if it's into a sensitive area, such as your health records, uh, criminal records, these are all, uh, you're, even if you're a member of a trade union and so on, these are all sensitive in a sense. Your financial records, they're yours. And, you know, if other entities, like, for example, government bodies, mm-hmm. we, we have no choice but in many cases but to give our personal information in certain circumstances to revenue, to social welfare, uh, to the health service executive and so on. You expect, for example, in those scenarios that people, officials and so on who are working in those departments and have access to those records, uh, being in that privileged position that they are of having such access, are going to do their utmost to protect them and to make sure that nobody gets access to them and that there's no shortcuts taken in terms of the systems that are in place to protect those, because those are instances, for example, where, uh, as I say, you don't have a choice. And many, many of our investigations over the past decade and so on related to leakages, et cetera, uh, from government departments uh, to, for example, private investigators and so on, and very serious consequences there were as a result of work that we did in that whole area. But also, for example, we would have gone into the hospital sector, for example, Everybody at some point in their life either goes into a hospital as a patient or as a visitor and so on. And one can see things. One can see files often lying around, personal files, uh, medical files, charts on the ends of bed, uh, visitors looking at at the patient's chart. You know, these are things that we've had to look at over the years. And and for people to think differently about um Look at this. This is your. This is personal information of an individual, and you and you and it has to be protected because it's vital that it doesn't get into the wrong hands and is used then for all sorts of nefarious purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so even in relation to then, when you get on to the bigger tech sector, that's why people worry about breaches that we've um, uh, reported on and where we've had big decisions against some of the big tech companies, etc., because of. Um, the risk you take once uh, uh, once you give the, that information to those companies if they don't have the proper security in place to protect it. You know, everybody is on social media nowadays, but um, 
you expect those big companies then the big tech companies to have uh, the most uh, stringent uh, security measures in place to, pr to protect against hacking and so on. So that's why it's 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 a very very uh, vital resource our personal information, you know, and and people have been thinking differently about it since data protection legislation came in over the past three decades or thereabouts, and rightly so. And it's right then that we have very strong rights to get access to that data, uh, to to get um, it deleted if you want companies to no longer hold on to it, uh, and to make sure that they're not retaining it indefinitely, because retention is a big issue, because you don't expect that if you're no longer doing business with a particular entity, that uh, 40 years down the line, they still have your records. Uh, so there is a law that says in the Data Protection Act that the, the, the business must retain data only for as long as is necessary. And, and that isn't um, indefinitely, you know, there, there has to, the business has to come up with uh, a policy on data retention and, uh, and apply it. And these are the things that we need to uh, uh, look at when we go looking into companies and audits, etc. Is how are they applying uh, the, the policy? It's okay to have a policy, but uh, are they actually enforcing it? And are there procedures in place? So there's a huge amount in uh, in data protection across the, uh, the whole spectrum of of business and government, etc. I suppose if you could give some examples of when and where the DPC decides to investigate a company. So say if an individual complains about a particular instance and you can look into it without having to go and look in the drawers and the files of an individual com uh, company, that's one thing. But I know that there's been instances where, you know, first thing in the morning, you guys are showing up to, to investigate. What triggers such an investigation on, on the part of the DPC? Yes, we have... Uh... We have, I suppose, a track record of, of doing that type of dawn raid. I'll give you some examples that I was involved in um, over the years. There was one example would be, for example, the premium rate text message sector. There was many, many complaints back in the before, even before smartphones. Lots of people on, on an ordinary mobile phone were getting all sorts of messages, uh, premium messages that were going to cost them two euro fifty and bills were running up. They were all about wallpapers. And this was the concept at that time, as I said, before smartphones. But we actually did dawn raids in that type of scenario on that sector at the time. And I think there was about five main offenders in terms of companies. Lots of people, uh, Primetime, for example, uh, reported on this at the time. And there was lots of people complaining to us uh, in great volumes after that particular broadcast. And... Um, yeah, it was about people being relieved of their money. They didn't know by pressing yes or stop or whatever the code was, what, what the consequences were. And in some in some instances, it was adding them on to a new service. And those were those were so serious uh, in terms of people, actually ordinary people here in Ireland, uh, having uh, money taken out of their um, phone accounts uh, and, and getting huge bills. And we, we prosecuted the top five offenders over a period of a couple of years at that time and, and effectively cleaned up that industry. That's an example, uh, one extreme example, I suppose, of, of turning up with, with, with technical um, assistance with us, uh, experts who, because these are all very technical platforms, by the way, that we'd be talking about that we had to go in and look 
look at in those companies, mainly around the Dublin area, in fact. Uh, but we had prosecutions both in, in, in Dublin and in, in Bray, I think it was at the time, uh, arising from that to clean up that type of industry. But then also we would have gone into other places, um, sometimes by appointment. For example, in the last couple of years, for example, there was a, a, again another uh, issue emerged in the media about a report of a whistleblower in the Department of Health reporting on uh, the treatment of files in relation to uh, children with autism. And again, we would have had gone in, I would have led a team into the Department of Health during the one of the first lockdowns, in fact, and um, we would have had to examine every one of those files and look at them and see well what was the issue and that investigation is is nearing conclusion and there'll be a decision issued in that in due course but we do actually have to in some instances take that decision there's something to be seen here we need to go in uh, uh full force and 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 look at the files look at the computers uh see the evidence Again, uh, another one definitely where I've turned up unexpectedly, uh, 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 unannounced, would have been in those uh, private investigators sectors. Uh, certainly, I would have gone in to several private investigators, some into private homes, because some of those private investigators actually work from uh, from their home or an office in the in the, in the backyard, and I, I would have had to gone in there uh, unannounced and uh, copied files and seized files and uh, and followed up on, on investigations, which all in fact led to uh, criminal prosecutions in the district court. We have, uh, which is a great power, we have the Data Protection Commission has the power to take a summary prosecution in the district court. We don't have to go to the director of prosecutions. The commission uh, can decide to prosecute. We do that regularly in fact we, we have a case even in 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 the, in the coming week in the district court um where we prosecute offenders uh for uh whatever offenses are, are in the act that applies to it and the particular ones i'm talking about the private investigators they're they're very strong um uh provisions there in both the old acts and in the current act in relation to that type of activity getting information unlawfully and passing it on to a third party and also uh the, as i said the, the other type of prosecutions we take all the time are in relation to uh unsolicited electronic marketing um uh communications text messages and so on that people get that that they don't want promoting entities or offering um particular sales prices etc you know so mm. this is a prosecution is 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 a very strong uh, function as well as i say that we have and we we use it to great effect but to go back to the point about turning up at dawn raids yes there's we've loads of experience of doing that but it would all depend on us to do that would depend on the circumstances that's been reported to us uh, what, what is the case about? Does it warrant such a um, a, a move? Uh, and um, and and then we we'd, we'd consider that and and take that important step if we have to. You know, uh, we're up against the clock here. So two quick questions in terms of the fines. Um, and I know you've heard you've spoken about prosecutions and so on. But the ones that we often talk about or that I often talk about anyway are the multi-million euro fines against some of the big tech companies. How are those fines decided upon? Is it based on, you know, the, the, the severity of the breach? Is it about the compliance? Like, does the compliance within the investigation make an impact? Anything like that? Yes. Um, well, it's, it's the second part of the decision, really. First, the, the commission has to decide that there have been... Um, 
Uh, a decision is a formal document, you know, and it has gone through the whole process of Article 60. In other words, co-decision with our um, with our counterparts in the European Union. Um, so the first part is the decision is, has there been an infringement or infringement? And if there has, the second part of the decision then is to decide on what corrective powers to use. And there are a number of corrective powers, about 10 of them laid out in the GDPR. One of them is uh, administrative fines, but we also equally do other uh, corrective powers even in the same decision, like a reprimand or a very important one that we would have been using it in the case mentioned this week is uh, uh, order the, the, the controller to bring processing into compliance. Mm -hmm. But to get back to the administrative fine, Article 83, in fact, of the GDPR sets out the actual general conditions for imposing administrative fines. And what the key point, I suppose, is that in each individual case, the fine has to be what's described as effective, proportionate and dissuasive. And we have to go through all of the elements of uh, Article 83.2. So really the guideline for us, the, the overarching guideline for us in terms of what's has to be considered in the in the fine is set out for us in the statutory um, article 832 about the intentional or negligent character of the infringement or the nature of gravity and duration of the infringement action taken by the the controller to mitigate the damages and so on so we have to do a substantial piece of analysis on every one of those because mm -hmm. if we don't do that fully and comprehensively we could run into difficulty in both in terms of an appeal by the data controller afterwards to the uh, any data controller who gets a decision against them is entitled to appeal to it to, to the Irish courts within 28 days so that's the first thing but we're also then interestingly uh, on another matter that happened this week we were getting um, courts uh, the the um, circuit court to confirm the decisions on a number of fines so not only do we just um, issue a, a, an administrative fine but the circuit court has to subsequently we have to go before the circuit court subsequently after the appeal period has passed and the data controller hasn't appealed it we have to go to the circuit court and we went in I think with a range of about five different cases this week and the circuit court has to confirm the decision to impose the administrative fine so in fact the circuit court has to be satisfied that we did our job properly too so it's quite a stringent process uh, mm. It takes quite a lot of thought on the part of our legal people who are drafting the actual decision. And um, it has to stand up to scrutiny, not only in terms of being able to withstand an appeal, but also being able to uh, cross the line in terms of the circuit court being satisfied that it's it's in order. Final question, and I get this every single time I talk about any of these big fines. Where does the money go? The money will be, for example, this week, the five cases, we've sent out a notice to each of the five data controllers. They have to give the money to us in the first instance. But once we get it, we then consult with the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. And the money goes into the Irish Exchequer for the Irish Exchequer only. It's not distributed in any way beyond that to even if the matter affects as it may do the whole European Union the Irish Exchequer actually benefits um, in the long run. Well, there you go. That's the question that I get asked most when we talk about these issues. Uh, it's been fascinating talking to you. Tony, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we're going to hear about a new investing platform that's launched in Ireland. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly.
Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. On Wednesday afternoon, Martin McKay of TextHelp was crowned the EY Entrepreneur of the Year 2022. He spoke to our business editor, Joe Lynham, and told him a little bit more about what his business does. We make software for people with dyslexia and ADHD, various other uh, neurodiverse conditions. Um, We've got offices internationally, so about half our business is in the US. Uh, about 20% in the Nordics, 28% in the UK, and um, a little bit in Australia and New Zealand. Um, a good deal of our business is in education, but actually uh, more recently we've been expanding into workplace as people kind of leave education. They don't leave dyslexia behind, and we've been focusing on... And what? Helping. Tell us in practical terms how you would help someone with dyslexia. It's really easy, Joe. We... We just help people with reading and writing, and so uh, there's a range of tools, about 14 things that we do, but we've got a a dyslexic spell checker, a dyslexic grammar checker. Whenever you use your phone, um, you type a couple of letters, and your phone predicts what word you want to write. We do that inside Microsoft Word and Outlook and Google Docs and wherever you're working. So we really just try to support people with their reading and writing as they... Get, you know, as they go about their day. Yeah, that is Martin McKay of TextHelp speaking to Joe Lynham. A huge congratulations to Martin. The business really does incredible work. I had the pleasure of meeting Martin earlier this year uh, and I was just thrilled to see him take home the big prize. And speaking of big prizes, while I think of it, uh, last week we had a fabulous Philips 55-inch 907 Ambilight TV to give away and the lucky winner was... Mike Carradine, who correctly answered neighbours. A huge congratulations, Mike. Uh, If you want to take a closer look at the TV that Mike has just won, head over to YouTube, search for News Talk, and you'll find my video review of that stunning Philips Ambilight TV. Now, we've spoken about it before, but have you opted into any investing apps? Well, there's another platform after arriving into Ireland. It's called Bitpanda, and not only does it offer a wide range of options, but there's also an education portal. So if you're like me and you need a bit of help in terms of financial literacy, it is a good place to go. Uh, Rob Kumiski is the country lead and head of marketing at Bitpanda, and he joins me now. Uh, So Rob, give us a bit of an introduction into what exactly Bitpanda is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Bitpanda was founded in 2014 in Austria um, by our co-founders, Eric, Paul and Christian. And it's a multi-asset investment platform. Um, We've over 2,500 assets available to invest in. Um, And I suppose you could look at us as having two sides to the business. So there's the consumer facing uh, app that's available to you know consumers and all users. Um, but we also are, are partnering with businesses across Europe, such as N26, uh, Lydia, Plum, uh, with others to come on a white labeled and API solution as well. So, you know, what we're doing there is we're enabling other fintechs or other um, financial institutions to enable their customer bases to to invest. And uh, we have four million or over four million customers across uh, Europe. And um, I suppose what we're what we're doing right now in terms of the Irish market is we are um, expanding the platform um, to Irish users. It's all, it's already available, but um, in terms of the sort of localized features and um, in terms of financial institutions um, picking up our white label solution, and that's what we're currently expanding to the Irish market. Anyone who's opened TikTok in the last 12 months will see financial advisors, and I say that sort of in air quotes because there's ones who are certified and then those who are sort of self-appointed. And they will always encourage Mm. investing your money and, you know, making your money work harder for you. 
But financial literacy is something that I know myself I struggle with and I'm sure others do too. So how knowledgeable do you need to be to get started on this platform and how do you know what's worth putting your money into and so on? Well, I mean, a big part of what, um, you know, we do for our users is we provide education, you know, so we have a, a Bitpanda Investing Academy on our website and um, we we often produce podcasts. We've got video series uh, and then there's, you know, there's there's light education within the platform itself. So what we would always say is, you know, to make sure that our users are informing their, themselves first and foremost about what exactly it is that they're investing in. Uh, and that, you know, crucially as well, that they believe in what they're investing in um, before taking the plunge. Yeah, and I think that that research and doing your homework beforehand is super important because, you know, some of the, again, in quotes, air experts that are on social media or on different platforms might push a certain product or a, a certain portfolio and may not be fully transparent as to why they're pushing that one or that may be that it suits their terms and conditions or their life scenario. But it, this isn't something where one size fits all, is it? No, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And I mean, in terms of that, you know, 2,500 uh, asset base on our platform, we're not just offering crypto. You know, a big part of what our, our founders were um, looking to do is to simplify wealth creation in general for our user base. Um, and that means having a diversified portfolio. So outside of, you know, the the kind of cryptocurrencies and what, what would have been our bread and butter, we're also offering, um, you know, stocks and equities. We're offering commodities and, and precious metals, uh, among others. So, you know, there's there's sort of a, a wide array to choose from. And then on top of that, you know, we're offering um, what, you know, what, what we call indices, which is, you know, sort of a, a mixture, a diversified mix, if you like, of uh, of different coins um, so that you're actually diversifying your investment. So, you know, there's there's many things there that we're trying to to put in place to, you know, safeguard our users and, and give them the, the information and knowledge that they need to make an informed investment. Yeah, I had a click through the Bitpanda Academy and I found it really easy to digest because as I said, financial literacy wouldn't be one of my strong points. But I I suppose one of the things that I think people need to be reminded of is that these are investments. It's not, you know, a make rich quick scheme or anything like that. It is something that will take time to build. Am I right? Yeah, completely. Like uh, we're very much proponents, like we'd be more on the conservative end, like we'd Mm. be more much you know, very much proponents of uh, a long-term investment strategy. So, you know, the sort of uh, features that we've built into the app, uh, you know, alongside the the indexes would be, a, you know, for example, a savings plan, you know, dollar cost averaging, you know, in terms of putting money into an account each month and, and buying at that point uh, over over time and then leaving your investment to um, to compound and, and, and to build, you know, it's, it's part of building wealth and building, you know, into your financial future, as opposed to, you know, trading, or as you said, you know, making, you know, get get rich quick or making money fast. Mm. In terms of updates for people, so if somebody does use this platform, and if they invest their money, do they get updates in terms of fluctuations? Because we know that the world is a bit bonkers at the moment. Uh, So some things are dropping dramatically and then crawling up bit by bit. Do you get informed as you go? Or is the onus on you to go in and, you know, keep checking constantly what's going on? Well, I mean, it's a little bit of both, Jess. Like I'd say, 
you know, any investor should keep an eye on, you know, what they're putting their hard-earned money into. But at the same time, um, certainly our platform, we, you know, there's, we've built in um, notifications. For example, you can you can sign up to notifications on your your favorite assets. Um, there's uh, tickers and um, you know dashboards within the platform itself, so you can keep an eye on. Um, on what your uh, your own investments are doing, um, but also you can you know sort of keep an eye on favorite specific uh, assets if 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 you want, and to keep an eye on those um, in terms of when you feel ready to to invest in something. So there's definitely tools there, but you know we would always say um, to take responsibility as well for for checking on the health of your own portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder, um, you know anytime anybody it comes to parting with cash whether you're buying something or investing people want to know that what they're putting their money towards is secure can you just talk mm. me through the security and uh, that that side of the platform yeah look it's really really important and, and we're really passionate about this so like first and foremost we're a european company um so you know we're not coming into to Europe or into European markets um you know we're 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 here and that's where we were headquartered and built um in terms of the the assets themselves you know our users own those assets so we're merely trustees and custodians of the assets and then they're held in cold storage you know which means that you know they're they're offline and secure uh, you know away from from prying hands so you know, there's there's a number number of safeguards there, but we're also heavily regulated throughout Europe. So we're regulated with Austria, and we've just received um, in the last couple of days a, a license for Germany, which is a huge thing for us. Um, we've got VASP uh, licenses throughout Europe, uh, and we've also got a MIFID license. So you know that's covering um, across Europe, you know, and, and heavily regulated. And, and that's something that we welcome. You know, we, we go into each market and have those conversations, um, which then in turn helps to safeguard our, our, our customers and give them faith in the system. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that, you know, there are often headlines around uh, investing and people who made a huge amount of money by getting behind, whether it was a particular cryptocurrency or uh, an investment portfolio. Um, but we know that crypto is going through a bit of a fluctuation at the moment. Um, mm. are, are you seeing people shying away from backing them or is this just part of the ebb and flow of uh, an asset portfolio? Yeah, I mean, look, there are there are peaks and troughs and cycles in every market. Mm. And like this wouldn't be the first um, bear market or, or crypto winter, as they're calling it, that we've that the company has been through. Um, and, you know, there will be others. So I think um you know what we've seen over the last couple of months has been you know certainly it's it's been a, a challenging period it's been it's been a slightly down period um and you know i, I suppose it hasn't necessarily impacted on the users coming through our, our platform you know i think what we've just spoken about in terms of the safety and the security of the system the regulation you know i, I think that's what diversifies us um within the market and, and gives our users faith um, you know, is it a, is it as frothy as it was? You know, at the start of the year, no. But um, you know, we're we're, we're you know we're confident, um, uh, and and our users are, are are trusting our platform, and you know we're hoping that um, next year things you know will will you know that we'll see a bull market again at some point soon. Mm. When people go to invest, regardless of how much it is, because we've spoken about this before on the show, that you know you shouldn't really invest more than you can afford to lose. That's sort of a good um, starting point. But, uh, you know, is there a, an estimate or 
a guideline in terms of how long people leave their money in an investment? You know, is it a matter of years? Is it decades? What are we talking about here? I mean, look, I, I'm not a, a financial advisor. I mean, certainly in terms of um, how I would look at my own portfolio, for example, you know, it's something that I, I invest in regularly. And it's something that I would leave, um, you know, maybe as far as retirement, like it's for me, an investment window is, you know, certainly five, 10 years plus. Um, that's the type of timeline rather than looking at kind of short term ebbs and flows. And um, I think everyone can get very sort of hyper in terms of like the news headlines. And, and you know, if you're plugged into pl- platforms like Reddit or Twitter, it's all very excitable. So I, I would personally step back from that a little bit and you know look at a longer time window and, and that's where you'll you'll gain the benefit of things like dollar cost averaging and you know investments over time and building and and, and getting the benefit out of compound interest that's it that's ultimately what you're looking for but look everyone everyone has their own style mm. um but you know we would certainly be be on the more conservative end with from 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 our perspective in terms of your own background uh how long have you been working with the company uh so i'm I'm almost six months into the into my role with the company. Um, prior to that, I was chief marketing officer for an Irish um, fintech called My Wall Street. So um, I worked there for for almost two years. Um, again, in the fintech space, not as closely linked to crypto, but on the stocks and equity side, and kind of more broadly around investment education and uh, you know sort of stock analysis and um, you know advice, I suppose, for for long term investing. So. I suppose the the Bitpanda proposition and mission like really spoke to me in terms of my my previous background and and sort of the 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 passion I had for the space and um, I I started kind of uh, around June or July of of this year. Yeah, I, I think when we look at what's going on, because we've spoken about it extensively here on News Talk, that the wider tech sector at the moment, there is an element of uncertainty. But we know that you know money is needed, investments are needed. Do you see uh, stability within the fintech sector, or do you anticipate some of those ebbs and flows uh, impacting the the fintech as well? I mean, I, I it's been a tricky year. There's no question about it. Um, I, I suppose what I hope we're starting to see is a little bit of leveling out um, within the sector. There's been tough decisions made across, you know, we've we've seen all the headlines and it's not just in fintech. I think, you know, you can look at big tech as well. Um, you know, there's been a tough couple of months and I, I hope uh, what we'll see coming into Christmas and the new year is a bit of leveling out, a bit of stabilization. Uh, I don't think we'll you know, we'll be running out of this bear market immediately. But, uh, you know, I think when when inflation begins to settle and um, things return to a little bit of normality, hopefully into next year, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see a little bit more positivity. But there's no doubt it's been it's been tricky. I'm hoping that we're we're over the worst of it. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed. Well, look, it, again, the, the platform is called Bitpanda. Even if you don't sign up, it is worth going on to the academy side of things and having a read through uh, the introduction to investing, uh, identifying and understanding the different types of investments you can make. I found it really eye-opening when I had a read through. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us here on Newstalk and hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. Thanks very much for having me. All right, when we come back here on Newstalk, we're going to hear from the Irish company hoping to be top of the corporate gifting tree this year. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. On Tuesday morning, December 6th, I'll have my 2022 Christmas gift guide on the Pat Kenny Show. We're going to run from 11am to 12, so a full hour of 
all the gift ideas you could possibly want. I'll have something for every budget as well. Uh, make sure you tune in at 11 or subscribe to Technology on the Pat Kenny Show on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. And speaking of Christmas gifts, my next guest is hoping that his company will be top of the corporate Christmas gifting list this year. The company is called Clever Cards and Keelan Lennon joins me now. Uh, Keelan, you're welcome to the show. What is Clever Cards? Thanks, Jess. Uh, Clever Cards is a digital payments platform to enable anyone, anywhere, anytime uh, to pay or be paid instantly. Um, We're essentially the only Irish company that provides tax-free digital MasterCards. Okay, and tell me a little bit about this space. You know, what is the demand and what are the scenarios in which this solution will be used? Sure. So I suppose at the moment, um, the most obvious one um, in the Irish marketplace um, Jess, is the fact that the government introduced a limit of €1,000 now for any business in Ireland um, to be able to pay an amount, take it out of the business and give it to your staff tax-free. So um, from an employer's point of view, um, it's obviously very simple to order a a Clever Card, but but, uh, they they simply email that digital Clever Card to some or all of their employees with up to €1,000 on it. It's fully tax-free for the employee. The employers get a full tax deduction. There's no employer's PRSI cost or POI cost. Um, and really, you know, I suppose the, the big thing that there's probably not an awareness out there for Jess is that every business, whether it's a sole trader, a doctor, a dentist, a taxi driver, a hairdresser, you name it, all the way through to the largest banks in Ireland have been using Clever Cards um, to be able to send tax-free digital MasterCards to their employees. The fact that it's MasterCard, I'm assuming then it can be used anywhere, both in store and online that accepts MasterCard. Yeah, that's really the difference, um, Jess, for us. You know, we're, we're, we're present in a number of European countries and um, look, we're, we're having a great run of it, as you could probably imagine. Um, our revenues in November, which we've just closed out, are like monstrously up in last year. We're, we're somewhere between 20 and 22 times higher in the month um, than we were this time last year. And that's principally because unlike traditional plastic gift cards that are restricted for your employees to a limited selection of retail networks, Clever Cards is the only company um, in Ireland and in Europe, actually, um, Jess, where the, where the digital MasterCard is accepted everywhere, online and in store, because you, you simply add it to Apple Pay or Google Pay contactlessly. There's no contactless limits on it. Like you can tap your card for 500 euro or 1,000 euro if you want. Um, and obviously, unlike plastic cards, the cardholder can see their card balance, where they spent the card all the time. It's with you all the time. One thing I've always wondered about uh, uh, in relation to cards like this is how does it work from the back end? So if somebody buys an 800 euro uh, or a clever card to the value of 800 euro, how does the merchant then get that money? Like, How does the money split so that everybody gets their take, if you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, it's a very good question. And um, I won't get too technical on it, Jess, but the the major um, thing that Clever Cards has achieved is kind of, um, dare I say, move over Stripe, here comes Clever Cards. But um, it's, it's, it's a serious statement because um, obviously we didn't have the capital that Stripe had. Um, so what we did was we went to MasterCard um, and we had a unique deal that we announced um, earlier this year where just like in the old days where Intel was inside every computer, you know, I mean, that was the game changer. Every single computer used Intel we've got MasterCard inside Clever Cards. So um, it, it's a landmark integration. MasterCard have never done it before. And so Clever Cards is now a payment processor, just like Stripe, um, with the power, the security, the scale of, of, of MasterCard processing 
inside the Clever Cards infrastructure, um, which 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 allows us um, scale. And to give context, then maybe to your question, um, like in simple terms, what that means is that we're certified by Mastercard to process payments within one second on any point of sale anywhere in the world. Um, where Clever Card servers and everything else have to respond to that. So what that means is that if you've got a digital Clever Card in your phone, just like a Revolut card, but it's in your phone now, it's digital, it's in your phone and Apple Pay, Google Pay, whether you're in Bolivia or you're in Paris and you tap your phone, Clever Cards within one second has been certified by MasterCard to process that payment um, such that the payment then comes through to, to the retailer. And in terms of the small print, we know that um, there's been a, bit of a shift in terms of uh, terms and conditions with gift cards and so on. Is there any small print that we'd need to be aware of when it comes to using a clever card? No, I mean, I think the the the, the card is accepted everywhere, Jess, is, is the important thing. And I think what's very different, I mean, you know, I, I said that clever cards for all intents and purposes is, is, is identical to, to, let's say, a Revolut card, except that it is digital. And the other big exception is that we are it's a business card like we're not we're not dealing directly with consumers. So it's business owners um, that, that you know, um, use the card for themselves or, or distribute it to their employees. Um, and as I said, the, the, the card is on your phone all the time, just like a Revolut card. You can use it every day of the week. You can use it in the petrol station. You can use it to pay your electricity bill. You can use it in the pub. Um, you know, so it's a it's 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 a digital MasterCard. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's a digital MasterCard. Um, mm. And um, it's 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 really easy to use. I mean, obviously, what happens in the background is that, you know, our business model is that MasterCard pays us when people use those cards in the same way as when if, if it was a Visa card, Visa would pay us. Um, so um, I suppose it's really the the, 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 the the disruption that we've had is that, you know, number one, we focus on businesses unlike Revolut, we're, we're, we're B2B. Um, and uh, we're not focused on individual consumers and um, we're focused on on businesses. And as a result, you know, we've had the biggest banks in Ireland, as I said, to to to, to sole traders from taxi drivers that basically have been using our cards predominantly recently um, to avail of the 1000 euro tax free because it's 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 just a no brainer. I mean, every single company in Ireland, every business in Ireland, Jess, should be using this in the next two weeks. Go on to clevercards.com and get one because you're going to lose a thousand euros. It's a no brainer what the government did. Um, and, um, and and I suppose that's where we're seeing the um, the benefit of it, you know. From your business side of things, you've said you've had an incredible 2022 by all accounts. What's the plans for 23 and beyond? Yeah, so um, I suppose from a, from a, a capital point of view and from an expansion point of view, um, we're headquartered here in Dublin, but we've got team across Ireland, UK, Italy, Vietnam, Canada, Spain, and now more recently Dubai. Um, and we've we've a very large bank that that has become a distributor for clever cards. And um, so you know, I think the 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 vision that I've had for the business, um, Jess, is that just like you know, blockbusters and HMV branches used to distribute those circular pieces of plastic that we call CDs and DVDs until until Steve Jobs came along and um and built iTunes and Spotify, Netflix came along and built digital platforms for music and movies. Um, you know, the existing way that payments has worked is that it's been bank branches distributing rectangular pieces of plastic that we used to call debit and credit cards until Clever Cards built a digital platform for payments. So we we like to kind of think of ourselves as, you know, we're going to be the Netflix of payments um, in, in the same way as, you know, plastic will just go straight to the phone, the same way as music went straight to the phone. Um, and, and to drive that, um, you know, we will be expanding very significantly next year. We will probably raise institutional capital um, in the middle of next year 
um, to drive that expansion further. Um, and um, um, you know, we 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 may open that up um, to some um, to some private angel investors. Um, we don't have an overhang like some of the other inflated valuation peers that are out there. I mean, that's been a feature, as you probably read, Jess, in the in the tech sector. You know, there's there's so many of those tech companies raised excessive amounts of capital at inflated notional valuations over the last number of years. They overspent, they overhired, they're burning through the capital. You know, whereas we were quite judicious in what we did. Um, and and dare I say clever in terms of the deal that we 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 pulled off with Mastercard. I mean, it was a bit audacious. Um, they did laugh at me when I went in and said, uh, "Could could could I get Mastercard to integrate with Clever Cards?" And they actually did laugh in the room because they thought I was joking and I wasn't. Um, and that didn't work. So I went back then another day and brought them to a very large customer. So I think when when they were sitting in the room with me and the customer, um, they could see where this was going. This was going to be. Um, the next stripe. This was going to be the Netflix of payments, and Mastercard wanted in. So, so um, getting Mastercard to integrate into the Clever Cards platform, as I said, move over Stripe. It gave us the ability to issue these digital Mastercards anywhere in Europe, um, and and the funds are all safeguarded as well. Jess, they sit in a safeguarded account, just like with with, with Revolut, the, the funds are protected. Um, so, yeah, I think that the next move for us is further expansion. Um, and and to do that, probably I'd say in the in, in the middle of next year, um, we'll look at doing an institutional capital raise. Um, but we are assessing the merits of maybe letting in some private agent investors that that might want to get in as an appetite. You have an appetite to get in because you know once it goes institutional, there'll be no more private investors. So um, now is probably the last time that that you know they could get in uh, without the overhang of of an inflated valuation like our peers. Well, look, it sounds like an incredible vision and indeed a product that is out there in the world functioning right now. Uh, Keelan Lennon, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you very much. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. John Fardy's up next here on News Talk. I'll chat to you next week.